<laughs> oh, it's good to laugh, isn't it? I am not doing any dance moves, I promise. Uh, easy. You clapped? I got something going on, a little bit. Jeez. Hey, we've been in a series uh, about our disciplines, and the reason we've been going there is because many people talk about a desire to grow. They want to grow in their faith, and they want some assurance that they're in right standing with God. And we know as believers that our right standing comes through Jesus. And so where do we find a sense of comfort about our development? And it really comes out of you knowing the authentic relationship you have with God. And so there are common denominators. There are are common practices in the faith that for centuries people have been practicing. Not because they're trying to get credit in heaven from God, like if I do these things, I'm better in God's eyes. No, they're, they're ways to cultivate a life and to allow for the Spirit to do the work in us. There, there's a, a quote from Richard Foster. He's a, a writer and author around the uh, disciplines, the spiritual disciplines. He says, a farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for growing of grain." He cultivates the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the plants, and then natural forces of the earth take over, and up comes the grain. This is the way it is with the spiritual disciplines. They're a way of sowing to the spirit. By themselves, spiritual disciplines can do nothing, but they can only get us to the place where something can be done. So last week, we talked about reading. If if you want to grow in your faith, there is a non-negotiable, you've got to read your Bible. And, and I was amazed at the feedback, like great message and all that, and I was so underwhelmed with the message it was like, because it's so basic. It's, we've got to remember, if we're going to grow in our faith, we've got to pursue the narrative called the Bible, the Holy Bible, this narrative of God's story. And if you long to know the Creator, then you've got to read the story. And, and many believers I know that have been in the faith for a long time, never even read it fully, cover to cover. And that's not guilt or conviction, it's just, it's a call to read your Bible. But this week, we dive into the second discipline, and that is of prayer. Maybe the most two obvious disciplines of reading your Bible and praying. And, and this morning, we're going to talk about prayer, and the, the point isn't necessarily to guilt or shame, but just as for a straw poll, how many of you this morning wish you prayed more? Just, just raise your hand. You, you would like to be praying more. I'm not taking a photo of that, your hand up or anything, I promise. Um, why is it we don't? It was interesting this morning, I was checking, I was, you know, I get up early and kind of review message notes, but I was checking an email because it was an odd one, and it was from Susan. I don't know a Susan. It says this. I once again want to notify you that you have inherited the sum of $12,800,000 from the late Mr. Yoshi Yu. Yeah, I was excited. Um, You're advised to contact and click this email. Okay, we all know like what? You just don't do that, right? You'll get a surprise picture or something like, oh my gosh, who is this? But I thought for a moment, why is it they still send these? Because they work. 
You know how many people click that? You know how many people hope at least that on the other side you have some lost, long, long lost Asian relative that has left you millions of dollars? I mean, come on. I thought as crazy as that is that we would click on that, why is it that we don't click when it comes to prayer? Billy Graham said it this way, heaven is filled with answered prayers, waiting for someone to ask. There are prayers waiting to be answered, waiting for people on earth, us, to ask them. Why is it then when God asks us all throughout the scripture to pray that we find it difficult to do that? Let me give you what prayer isn't this morning. I know we had six great tips, um, you know, but, but what is in it? it prayer is not defined within a space or time. It's a conversation that happens in time or space. So let me explain this. I believe often we as Christians reduce prayer time to, well, pray before the meal and pray before you go to bed and, and pray before you start a service or a meeting. And there's these like blocks or these sacred moments that we're supposed to be praying all the time. You ever think about praying for your food, like what you're doing? I mean, how offensive is that to the people that are cooking it when you have to bless it before it gets to you, right? I don't know how they prepared this, but we pray blessing and purity on the food. <laughs> I mean, why we even pray for centuries has been because there's a gratefulness, there's a gratitude. Really, God measures the heart, and the space or the time is less important. If, if prayer finds its, its best moments is in the conversation of when it happens, and you're in a time or a place. I found myself in meetings, maybe with some difficult situations, or ones where I'm baffled or don't know what to do, and it's like this. It's not like I stand up and pray out loud, but it's God. I don't. Give me wisdom. Give me, give me a door to opportunity to share my faith. It may be in the midst of driving as I drove 41 this morning. Amazing fall colors. And it's just that you are an amazing God. If, you see, it finds time and space as we drink in the reality of life. Abraham Heschel, uh, a Jewish theologian, has a beautiful quote. Let me read this to you because I, I don't want to get it wrong. He does it so well. Prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. Let me say that again. Prayer is our humble answer, our amazing response to the inconceivable surprise of living. It's driving down 41 and like, you are amazing, God. I'm alive. I've been provided for. It's just this, you're drinking in life. And so it finds itself in beautiful time and space, but it's not limited by that. It's not just a happy and glorious conversation. I think so many think that you have to come to God happy. Lord, thank you. You're amazing, God, and life is good. And I don't really believe that, but yes, I'm happy. I'm happy. You know, a lot of the pages in your Bibles are filled with grief, filled with pain, filled with loss. Many of the Psalms, the book of Lamentations is the lament of followers of God that are saying, why God? Have you ever found yourself in moments, I have, throughout my life several times where I don't get it, God. I'm overwhelmed, God. 
I'm hurting God. God is not just one, and prayer is not a place where you just have to be happy and, and play Christian. It's a place that you're honest, and there's pain. And in expressions of even David, why, God, have you left me? With an exclamation point, angry. God, why? Have you forgotten me? We feel those things, and prayer can be a place that we can do that. Prayer is not about you. If you don't get anything this morning, I'm just going to ask that you remember this. Prayer is not about you. It's not about me. But it's a door that God offers for us to worship him, to have relationship with him. We, we, we have kind of twisted prayer in America to, to make it our way of getting the God genie out of the, the lamp to make life the way we want it. Because we're so used to that as good Americans, right? We, we're used to consumerism and, and good customer service, and so we treat God like a bellhop. God, I have problems right now. Could you fix these? Here's my list that's growing and growing and growing and growing. No, it's a doorway for you to fall at the feet and that inconceivable reality that you're living. You get invited to have relationship with him. Prayer's not about you. It's not about me. It's also not about the words, but, the, but it's at the heart. It's not about the words. So often when I've asked people to pray, there's immediately that response, that tension of, uh-oh, I'm not a good prayer as if there's like schools to go to for that, right? I don't know what to say to God. And immediately, if you've had that point where maybe some of you in this room are feeling, because I'm going to call on some people to pray this, this morning. I'm just going to say that. Now, how many of you, your stress level just went up? Nobody's? Cool. I could ask a lot of people. Yeah, you better make the confession. Yeah, it's that feeling of, ooh, shoot. And we were worried more about what does it sound like to everybody else. If you have that, you've, you've lost perspective because it's not about words, it's about your heart. And that's where the scripture will talk about even the youngest child coming to God with innocent words is beautiful. I remember the first time I met Trish, and guys, you may remember this, the first time you met, you know, that one, and it was like, you said a lot of stupid stuff, right? You stumbled through it, uh, and you go, why did I just say that? That was dumb. God doesn't think that way about us. He loves the heart. And really, our words to God, our heart to God, really could be measured by, are we having conversations with him? And the longer we know God, the easier that conversation can become. 1 Thessalonians, the Bible is filled with it. Here's just one. It says in 5, 16 through 18, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray continually. You would be hard-pressed to find three pages in your Bible that doesn't have somewhere where someone is praying or crying out to God. Prayer is not just a suggested practice. It is the practice. There are two major disciplines that Every Christ follower, everyone that followed God did, they searched out the word, the truth of God, the word of God, and they prayed. You will not grow, friends, if it's just sitting every week hoping a pastor can teach you the word and then pray for you. 
That's good to have. But what you need to begin to do is to pray yourselves. What's your prayer life like? What is prayer? Prayer is communion with God. We use that word communion because we go to a table, the Lord's Supper. The word communion is, is a, a word that suggests koinonia. It's, it's fellowship. It's intimacy with God. I'm going to say this in this room, and this may sound awkward, but I believe the most intimate thing that you can do in this life is pray with somebody. I know that for Trish and I, it is more difficult and more intimate for us to pray together than it is to, to be physically intimate. There's this sense of being spiritually naked that's more difficult. There's more apprehension. And I wonder why. I think it's because that we're, we're crying out to our God. It's the highest of highs and it's this sense of just beautiful connection with God. I wonder if it's a sliver of the garden of what it must have been like. And this morning I know that our intimacy with God without prayer is probably not there. You probably don't have it. What's your prayer life like this morning? Why don't you pray? You ever ask that question about yourself? You know, many of us would raise our hands and say we'd love to be praying more. Why, why aren't you? Let me give you a little bit of a backdrop to that, and it comes out of Genesis chapter 2. We know the garden scene. There's perfect unity and communion with God and Adam and Eve. But something happens. We know that, that, that Adam and Eve disobey God. They eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and they're unable to handle the choice between good and evil, and they make the wrong choice, right? And forever are going to have a flawed way they view life. They're going to see and think flawed and depraved. They're going to make wrong choices, and that's going to be skewed. They're going to see relationships flawed. They're even going to reconnect to the father flawed. Because what do they do? What's the first thing they do? They realize they're both, what? Naked. They're exposed. I love the line that God says in that, and he says, who told you that? Who told you that? Immediately comes in in our flawedness is we become, uh, there's a shame in the guilt. So what do they rush to do? They cover up. Friends, what we do immediately in our spiritual journey is we cover up. We're cover experts. We put on whatever we can to try to cover and to make sure we have the things that we want to hide from God or others, from other people. But after that, remember what they did is they found that and then they hid from God. How ironic is that? How crazy is that? They hide from God. And then there's this narrative in, in Genesis that says, God's, hey, where are you? Which I love that was written in there, like God didn't know. It's like playing hide and seek with kids. You know where they are, but they're hiding. What happens to us and why we might not pray it's because we look through life with two different lenses, one of dignity and one of depravity. We have this picture that God tells us who we're created like and what we're to be like, and it's beautiful and it's amazing, but there's this other lens that fogs it, and if you wear glasses or contacts, if one is, has a problem, what happens? Both are skewed. 
And so there's this fogginess, and we will forever until Jesus returns and fully redeems us have a flawed way we view life, how we think about things. Even in our disciplines, they'll always have a level of depravity. So there are no perfect Christians. There are no perfect people, and there is a flawedness to us. Because of that, we hide and we come up with excuses. Here's a couple of them. Maybe this is you this morning. I don't think I have the time. I don't have the time to pray. I got a lot of things to do. How skewed and depraved is that? If the creator of the universe said, I, have, I am at your, I'm at your beck and call to just talk. And if you enter in that relationship, it's not the answer, Jeannie, but you are, are there to talk. God is there for us 24-7 to speak with. We're never alone. There are writers and theologians that will say this throughout centuries that have prayed and would say, you're too busy not to pray. Bill Hybels writes a book called Do Busy Not to Pray. We are too filled in our lives to think that we don't have enough time to pray. Think about it this way. If you truly believe that God is the orchestrator of all of life, that he is in control and in charge, who should you be plugging time in with the most? Not your doing, but his doing. It's a lie we believe, and it's part of the fall. We also th- maybe don't think that it's important. Uh, if I just come to church, if I come on Sunday mornings, listen to the pastor, if I give a little bit, if I spend a little time serving, prayer's low on the food chain for spirituality for me. Friends, there maybe is not a more important discipline that marks your maturity in Christ than the conversation with him. You see, prayer is not about you just getting things for you. It's about you being changed and your heart being changed and you developing a conversational relationship with the king. Another lie is I don't believe that it makes any difference. I've heard this before because... You might have prayed for something to be changed, somebody uh, to, to be healed, something to have gone on, and it didn't happen. And there's this sense of defeat in the sea of Christianity, in the sea of millions of people throughout the ages. Why do I matter? Why will it even make a difference? Will my prayer matter? That's why the Bible stories are so powerful. You read of one person praying for a city. God, if you'll find one, will you not punish it? The prayers that we can offer can move God's heart. Can God's waiting for us as humble worshipers to be so surprised about living that we embrace him in relationship and he longs in that relationship to give us good things. And it may not be the things that we long for, but things that are beyond our comprehension. Jesus will talk about that. What father gives his son a a stone if he asks for bread? God's not about giving you bad things. God wants the best for us. It does make a difference. Maybe the other lie is, though, I don't want to be that vulnerable. I just spoke about that, that it's, it's one of the most vulnerable 
places for us to be, and I believe many people don't want to go there. I think it's why people don't want to pray out loud, is there's a fear of exposing that raw humility, that raw humbleness of, of crying out to Jesus. What's your excuse this morning for not praying? Maybe there's another one in there I don't know. But I, I want you to think this morning, as Soren Kierkegaard says it, this, the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of one who prays. What if we view prayer differently? If you long for transformation, if you long for a soul that's authentic, what if this morning that I told you that prayer will transform your life? Put aside the fact that it can get you some things. Things could be changed, and you can move God to, to see him work around you and to see life somewhat like you like it. Put on the top of the list, what if it was the changer of changing your heart and soul? The function of prayer is not to influence God as much as it is to transform us. This morning I want to dive into James chapter 4 because this passage, James, is the half-brother of Jesus. James was also named James the Just or James Camel Knees. Camels have large, knotty knees, and James ended up having and developing very large, knotted knees because he would bow down. And he would have knots and scar tissue all over his knees. And it says, even as the half-brother of Jesus, he doubted. He didn't think his brother was the Messiah until he died and rose again. James becomes a prayer warrior. And he writes this Jewish audience because it's a church body and they're fighting. I know this morning we, have, we don't even relate to that. We don't have quarrels or anything. If you're new, that's not true. Um, there's fights and quarrels and struggles in this early church, much like we find today. And he gives, uh, why is this going on? He addresses the group. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. He, he's addressing an issue here because we can find ourselves not clicking on the email that God keeps sending. You have an inheritance here. And it's the kingdom of heaven, and I'm a father that's waiting to listen to you. Why aren't we clicking it? James is addressing that. Now, I rewrote it, not the scripture. Um, I, I rewrote and put in orange some statements in there to help you read this a little bit differently. Why are you having fights and quarrels among yourselves? Because they come from your desires that battle within you. Because you desire what you don't have, and so you kill. James is saying, if you have problems around you, first look at yourself. Don't look at programs, don't look at churches, don't look at organizations. It comes from you. You and I. Pleasures is another word that comes out of, uh, it's a word we get, hedonism. It's stuff we want. Stuff we want that we drink in that we think is going to make us happy and we all have that God-shaped hole in our lives 
that we try to fill with a lot of things. It's another part of our depravity. We search for things that are going to make us happy. This group's no different. And when you're not happy and you're not getting what you want, what do you do? You get mean. You get mean on a ranging uh, scale of levels. And you start to go after it, those things. He says that began because you covet what you cannot get and what you want. So you quarrel and fight. Someone else has got what I want. They're driving the car I want. They have the relationship I want. They have the approval I want. They have the position I want. And can you see how harmful and destructive our culture is? I mean, come on. We, we, you watch an hour worth of commercials. Don't you kind of want somebody dropping off a, a, a car in your driveway with a bow on it? I mean... You know, or, or it's the old Spice commercials. Every, every gal in the world's going to chase you if you, like, put that stuff on, right? We're, we're fed this information, and then we, we're, we're bitter and angry, and we covet, and we think, gosh, I don't have this, and I need this. James goes on and says, why isn't life giving you what you want? What's he saying? You don't have because you don't ask. This is not a guarantee that God's going to give you everything you want, but what is James doing? He's saying, go to God. Quit messing around with fighting everybody else and coveting after everyone else. Go to your knees and ask God. Then he says, maybe you are asking God. Why aren't your prayers being answered? Because when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend on what you get on your pleasures. Come on, all of us were, were kids at one time, or you have kids, and you've, you've heard the asks from your kids, right? They want things, and you know those things aren't good for them at that time, aren't the right time or the season. And, and God is the same way, and I think we have so reduced God into kind of just answering the things we want. We've almost put ourselves on a pedestal that we have greater authority than God. That we've got it figured out, God, if you could just get behind me and kind of just support the things I'm doing. You know, God this morning wants us to begin to ask and pray. And remember, if we go to him and ask in prayer, we might begin to find our hearts changing and our lives changing. Now this morning, I want to dive in I want to dive into a, a response of prayer. I'm going to give you the chance to corporately be a part of prayer. The Hebrew writer writes about Jesus himself, and so if this is not motivation enough, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions. Couldn't anyone have had an excuse? Jesus could have had one, right? Oh, I don't need to talk to him. That's my dad. I mean... I am God, so really, I don't need to talk to myself. I mean, I'm, I'm good. It says that he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries. Look at that. Not just happy, cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Jesus was agonizing over the journey he knew he was going to take. Don't we try to pray ourselves out of pain all the time? Jesus knew it. Says the one who could save him from death, he was heard because of his reverent submission. 
I want to give us a chance this morning to reverently submit. But I'm going to call you to pray. I'm going to try to just give you a couple options of how you can begin, not just this morning, begin to pray and just start praying. Pray 15 minutes a day. Start to just take some time to do that. Max Zucato just wrote a new book called Before Amen. And he writes this book and uh, he has a website now and the challenge is pray this simple prayer. Father, you are good. I need help. They need help. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I was in, at one point a little bit offended by this and thinking, oh my gosh, this is gross. We're that bad off. We can't pray to God. But then part of me said, you know what? Maybe some just need to start here. And what would this prayer begin to do? Do you realize some of the best prayers in Scripture are so simple? God, why have you forgotten me? Father, you are good. I need help. They need help. Doesn't this change? If you start saying this, what is it changing? Your posture changes. You change. Some of you aren't grateful enough and you just, you long, you're, you're a little bit struggling with God, but uh, Ann Voskamp does a book called A Thousand Gifts. Guys, I know this is a feminine cover and I wish it had like a dead, like 14-point buck in there and a bow and, you know, 1,000 gifts and thank you, God. It's your 1,000-point buck. Uh, but her book is powerful. You know why? Because it invites us in to beginning to pray and thank God for small things. You will be transformed when you start to see the gratitude in your life start to change. Your life won't be as rocky. You'll be able to handle things differently when you become more grateful for the one. We uh, are going to sell a book out there by Mark Batterson. 40-day prayer challenge. We sold 500 of those last year. Um, we just sell them for the bookstore, so we don't make anything off those. But I'm going to begin the 40-day prayer challenge on Monday. Some of you just need to do that. I'm going to fast some things for 40 days, and, and I would encourage you to do that. You can buy that in the lobby. You can sign up for that. Um, they'll deliver it if you can't get here tomorrow, or, but you can buy them all week. Start something. Do it with your family. Begin to pray together and cry out to God. On our website, look, there's a little small little part in the top that says prayer. A little bit hidden, but it's right there. If you can't find it there, you can go to next steps and it's right there where it says praying. Both of those will get you to a space called our prayer sheet and you can put on a request. And then people can pray and they click on it and it says how many times they prayed. Can I just, in, can I give you a pastoral challenge though in this space? Could we try really hard not to put unspoken or anonymous? It's an interesting thing, but I believe that God calls us to be more honest and open with what we are. Now, obviously, you know, if you're, you're not going to expose people on there. And so if I was saying, I'm praying for Jeff because he's a dirtbag and I put his name on there, that's not good, right? <laughs> Don't do that. Don't be that honest, all right? <laughs> Jeff is not a dirtbag, by the way. But I think we can put, put your name. Put your name. The body of Christ, put your name. Why is it we're so afraid to be vulnerable about need and about requests? We, we should be more open about that. I mean, praying for an anonymous thing, we can do that, but it'd be great if we started to put faces and names together. This morning I want to talk you through a response, and it comes now to the last part of James, because James says this, is anyone in trouble? 
pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them. Anoint them with oil. In the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now I'm going to pray for us in this time because I'm going to call you to a corporate response of prayer. Before I do that, though, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Most of us bow our heads when we pray. Do you even know why? I don't either. I think it's for our ADD and our attention deficit. And I know there's a posture of, you know, of, of worship to God. One of my mentors about 25 years ago was sent to China to smuggle Bibles in. And he took a suitcase of Bibles and he told me the story about he had to hand the suitcase to somebody knowing that they might die having that suitcase. And they spent some time there with some secret Christians, the Chinese Christians, but when they were at meals together, they could not bow their heads and close their eyes. And so you know what they did? They called it this Chinese prayer, the China prayer. And they left their eyes open. And he came back and we started to do that together. It's powerful and I want to pray for you right now with all of our eyes open. So Father, right now, I pray for many people in this room that aren't praying that need to have a conversation with you. God, might our moments be intimate, be exposing, be vulnerable to you as we not only confess as we talk with you. Father, we lead this church to be a church that has bad knees. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first area this morning I'm going to ask is that some of you are in trouble. I'm going to define that. It's largely around quarrels and fights. Maybe it's because you covet something, but there's a broken relationship around your life somehow, some way. Maybe with you, maybe in your family. And you seek restoration. The Bible says that we're to be peacemakers. That means even in the midst of maybe not our responsibility of it's not about us, we seek restoration. If you have a broken relationship around you this morning, would you stand up? That you need restoration this morning. A broken relationship. And the scripture says, the Bible calls us to uh, to be peacemakers. No matter how wrong we've been wronged. Jesus was tortured, was abused, completely unjustly. There's no reason. And he calls us to this peace. Now, I ask you to still stand. How many of you know of a broken relationship that needs restoration? It's not even involving you. If you know of one, would you stand? If you know of a broken relationship. Friends, think of the unanswered prayers that are laying in heaven if we begin to cry out to God to bring restoration. Now, if you're still sitting, you've had a great week. <laughs> but I'm going to ask you to stand and commit to pray for someone that you see standing. And we are called to pray together. So, you have the microphone, Kim? Do you? Shelly, will you pray? 
for these broken, restored relationships. Nobody's prepared. I know I'm just calling out on people. And just pray. Just pray for God's restoration in these relationships, would you? Lord God, you are so good, and I know you hear our prayers. You know the desperate need of all those that are here with us today, Lord. Just be with them. Hear their cries, Lord. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. I mean, think about all the restoration in that room, in this room, that's represented. Celebration. Scripture says this, James says this, it's very clear, if you're happy. Anybody happy in this room? Anybody grateful and have a sense of gratitude for anything in your life that God has done in your life, would you stand? Yeah. And it says that we're to celebrate and sing songs. Guys, we don't put music here on the stage to entertain you or draw you in from the lobby. It, it's because we long to sing these songs, these lyrics that are really prayers and anthems of our gratitude to God. James says, if you're in trouble, pray. But if you're happy, start to pray with songs and music. So will you sing as Sylvia leads us in how majestic our God is?
And everyone said, Amen. You can have a seat. Provision. It's a word we immediately move to finance and things that we need in our lives, the essentials, but it's a little bit bigger than that. It says, is anyone sick and needing God to provide a healing, a physical healing? It says, let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And so this morning, we, we just, is there anyone sick, hurting? needing God to, to heal you and bring that healing. If, if you're looking and longing for that, would you stand? Physical healing of some sort. You're just struggling physically. And if you know of somebody that's not in here that needs healing, would you stand? Again, the scripture says we're to be bringing those requests before the Father. He wants to give us good gifts. Now I know when it says in the passage it says that the faith, our faith will make a sick person well. I'm going to get into that in a moment, but there's kind of some double meaning here. There's also, it's sick people spiritually that don't know Jesus. And so right now we focus specifically just on the sickness physically in our lives. And we want to pray for that and lift that up. And so if you're standing or you're sitting this morning and you see someone that you can pray for, would you just maybe stand because you're sitting and pray for someone or pick someone that you're going to pray with? Who would like to pray? I didn't do this last service. Who would pray for healing? Who struggled with anything? Would you? Jason, would you do that? Would you give Jason the mic? Well, Father God, we just come before you, Lord, just to thank you. Your words say a prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So, Father God, I just pray for the sick, the weak, the deprived, that you may heal. Father God, do a work in our lives and in our hearts that will change. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, nothing against liturgical services, but we're, we're close to up, down, up, down, aren't we? So um, I don't have anything to repeat. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We've had you up and down a lot today. It's exercise. This is where it goes into the spiritual world in the realm where James, we've often looked at the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. It, it partly is for physical, but it's more for spiritual healing. It's more to heal those who don't know Christ. And so if you know someone this morning that doesn't know Christ, that you know is sick, would you stand up? Someone that just needs prayer. And that's why in this next piece, James says something so powerful. He says, therefore, confess your sins. I love this because it's the equalizer. He says, push the reset. It'll, it'll even out the room when you begin to confess your sins 
and pray for each other because some of us weren't perfect this week. I don't know about you, but it's like weekly I'm reminded, oh, once again, God, I find myself there. And confessing that just once again is God, continue the healing in me. Because not only I'm praying for somebody who doesn't know Jesus, I'm also praying for myself and my you, who we struggle in our own mess, find ourselves once again in the trash heaps of sin. And we just go, why am I here again? That's what we pray for this morning. So this, this morning, as we pray for that, can you have someone in your mind, someone that you could be thinking of that doesn't know Christ? It's important that we pray for those people. Uh, Kim, would you give it to Tony over here? Pray for us, Tony. Those who don't know Christ and those in the sin that we have. Thank you, Lord, uh, first for giving me the courage to do this. Um, Also, Lord, uh, for those who don't know Christ so they can find you in their uh, heart, uh, find space for you, Lord. You are great. You are a great God. Uh, Bless these people so they can help the people that they know uh, find, help them find the God that that we all know and love. Uh, it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 You can have a seat. I just want you to think for a moment of, of what we're praying for together, for healing, for people that don't know Christ, for, for restoration. Heaven is filled with prayers, answers to prayers that have just not been asked. Can you imagine if this body, just this body, began to pray that way? It'll change. It'll change the city. This morning we have this great opportunity now to go to the table. And why do we go to the table? Because we celebrate the relationship we have with Jesus, with God through Jesus. We go to celebrate communion because we go to the Lord's table and that is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ allowing allowing us to have that relationship and talk to the Father. So this morning as you go, I want just two things to think about. One, praying for these people that you know don't know Christ or walked away from Christ. A couple came and said, man, I prayed for them. They're Their sister, his sisters, walked away from Christ, making some choices in life. And it's not to point a finger and say, you're wrong, you're wrong. I said, man, we pray for the opportunity to love and speak forth the mystery of Christ. When you go to the table, will you think about that this week? And maybe you're inviting them here. Maybe you're going to pray with them out loud. But we also have in there 81 churches pastors and churches that we as a church here at Green Bay Community Church are celebrating getting Green Bay the people in Green Bay and Brown County connected to Jesus and friends if that's underneath a different title if they're loving Jesus amen fill the churches and so we have pastors and churches names and we are called because we're on the same team to pray for them 
Take one, take two, take three, take as many as you want. Begin to pray for the church in Green Bay. Will you do that as you go to communion this morning? Father, we pray this morning for the great blessing that we have to speak with you. And we're just amazed and surprised that we are given life. Might we drink of it deeply and might we talk to you more intimate. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, let's respond in communion.